Our mission at Crosspoint Baptist Church, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We're going to conclude our series. We started this series back in early December. It was all about Christmas. And so I was calling this series because of Bethlehem. And so if you would open your Bibles to John chapter 3, we're going to be really all over John chapter 3, but um, it's a sermon I'm calling a gift has been given. And so today is our last message in, uh, in a series that was called Because of Bethlehem. And if you were with us in the three previous messages, the first uh, in, the, in that series was a message that God has come. And that was about Isaiah chapter 9, saying how God is going to come to the earth. Uh, the second message was, was how grace has appeared out of Titus chapter 2. And then on Christmas Day, if you're one of the, the faithful and true that showed up on Christmas Day, uh, it was about how hope arrived, has arrived. And today, the last sermon is about how a gift has been given. And so with that, let's read about how a gift has been given. John chapter 3, beginning verse 16. The word of God says, For God so loved the world. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his world into the son to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. So to, to, we are in the New Year's. I'm about to say today is New Year's. Today is not New Year's. I, that's why I skipped there. Today we're in the New Year's. And this is usually where a pastor will come up and preach some message about New Year's resolutions or something like that. I'm not going to do that. I don't make New Year's resolutions. Because I have learned that if you don't make New Year's resolutions, then you'll never break New Year's resolutions. That's usually because somebody says, I'm going to have a New Year's resolution to lose 30 pounds. But I'm not going to change my diet, nor am I going to exercise. And that never works. Uh, I can attest to that. But anyways, <laughs> uh, I, I don't make New Year's resolutions. And also, I'm still stuck in Christmas mode. That's why I got one more message about Christmas. And then, Lord willing, next Sunday, we're going to start a brand new series going through the book of Revelation. If you've never read the book of Revelation, we're going to go through it together, line by line, verse by verse. It's probably going to take all of next year. So I guess I'm making a New Year's resolution to preach all the way through the book of Revelation uh, in the coming year. But today, we're in John chapter 3. And John chapter 3, verse 16, is probably the most well-known verse in the entire Bible, definitely in the New Testament, John chapter 3, verse 16. Martin Luther called John 3.16 a gospel in a miniature. It's a single verse that shows the greatness of God's love, the which he's loved us, and is probably familiar to us as churchgoers. But let's not skip over just how amazing, how impactful this verse is. Um, usually in these sermons, I'm really quick to throw my, my family under the bus. Tell stories about them. I can tell my kids are paying attention now because they think I'm about to tell a story about them, but I'm not. I'm going to tell a story about me. I'm going to throw myself under the bus on this one. Growing up, I knew nothing of the Bible. When I say I knew nothing, about, I mean I knew nothing. My only verse I knew was, you ready? God helps those that helps themselves. Hmm, yeah. If you don't know, that's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Okay, that's, that's according to sources, say that Benjamin Franklin said that, God did not say that. And as an unsaved man, I'm trying to discover the meaning of life through the words of Ben Franklin. Okay, that's a terrible strategy. Don't do that. 
But there, there was, I think I was in my mid-20s, and I was just, in a, just outside Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm, uh, I'm there for work, and so I worked all day, I come back to my hotel room at night, and I'm unwinding, and I turn on ESPN, as that's the only channel to me in my mid-20s, ESPN, I turn it on, and I'm watching the highlights of the baseball games that day. And some big leaguer jacked a home run. It flies out of the stadium. As the ball is traveling out of the stadium, the camera pans and is catching the ball as it leads. And there's some guy in the crowd and he holds up a sign. You know what that sign said? Nobody? (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Yes. John 316. It's like you were there. You knew that was coming, right? And so I'm an unsaved man. I've never read the Bible. And I think, what does that verse say? And so I'm like, I'm in a hotel room. There's going to be a Bible around here. This is back before you had smartphones and there's Bibles on that. And so I open up the bedside table and there's a Gideon's Bible. And I didn't even know where the gospel of John was. I had to go to the table of contents, find John. I'm glad I did that because I probably would have gone to second John or something like that. But, huh? but anyways, no, I found the gospel of John, turned to that page, had to go find chapter three, then finally verse 16. And I read, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I thought, what does that have to do with baseball? No, nothing. It has nothing to do with baseball. You see, what happened was there was a guy who, who knew Jesus and he wanted to share the gospel. And so he bought a ticket and he went to a baseball stadium and he made a sign. And at the right time, as the ball left and the camera panned on him, he held the sign up in hopes that some lost soul in a, in, a, in a hotel room in Arizona would read that, open a Bible, read it, and get saved. But that's not what happened in my case, because I'm that, that thick skulled. I just want to say I'm so glad that salvation is totally of God, because if it came any other way, I still wouldn't have found it. But anyways, this passage, John 3, 16, let, let's set this in its context. Let's read what happened in the very beginning. Back up, John 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, it's going to be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so here we have a Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus. And he comes to Nicodemus, or he comes to Jesus by night. Why by night? Well, we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. John doesn't write that out. Did he come to Jesus by night because he didn't want the Pharisees to see that he was coming to Jesus? Or did the Pharisees send him and he came to Jesus by night so the people didn't see? We don't know. The only thing we do know is that his name is Nicodemus. We're going to call him Nick, and he came to Jesus by night. So let's call him Nick, Nick at night. Okay, some of you are old enough to get my jokes. I'm showing my age with my jokes. Thank you very much. My kids are like, call me Boomer right now. I know you are. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> Nick at night, he comes to Jesus at night. And he doesn't make a big splash in the pages of scripture because Nicodemus is only found three times in our New Testament. John chapter 3, John chapter 7, and later in John chapter 19. And very little is known about this man. 
But we do know that he's a high-ranking Pharisee because John tells us that Nick at night, he is a ruler of the Jews. And so he's this member of this very strict set of legalists that were leading Israel in their, their worship of God. There are 6,000 of these guys in Israel during the time of Christ. And there are these guys that really prided themselves on keeping the law. They, they said, this is what you have to do to earn God's favor. Keep the law, which they, they said was 613 different do's and, and don'ts that, that are compiled down to, to what is keeping the law for a believer. You see, though the Pharisees, they're very religious, but they don't know God. They place such an emphasis on this works of righteousness. I'll say it like this, really looking the part. Okay, it was all about the outward. It's all about the external appearances, but their heart was not right with God. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And though we don't know a lot about Nick, we do know a lot about what he believes right there, right? And so Nick recognizes that Jesus comes from God. He got that part right. But what Nick failed to recognize is that Jesus is God. Huge difference. There's a huge difference between knowing that Jesus comes from God and that Jesus is the incarnate God. And then the conversation changes. Jesus drops this truth bombshell on him when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That phrase, born again, it means to be born from above. Okay? Being born again is the dividing line of salvation. That's, that's it. The, the, if you're born again, you are saved. If you're not born again, you're not saved. Okay? Lots of different faiths say lots of different things about eternal life and eternal death. But Jesus makes it crystal clear. Born again. That is the difference between heaven and hell. Now, I've heard it said that if you're only born once, you're going to die twice. But if you're born twice, you will only die once. You see, God imparts spiritual life to, to us. He transforms us. And when we come to him by faith, and he gives us eternal life. And this statement that Jesus makes about being born again, it turns Nicodemus into this, this tailspin. He doesn't know what to make of it. Because Nicodemus is thinking literally where Jesus is speaking spiritually. Out of all the training that Nicodemus had, I mean, he had his whole year, his, excuse me, his whole life was spent in, in trying to discover God and, and what the scriptures meant. And he had no training to what this term being born again really meant. Because the, the Pharisees, they had God in a box, if you will. This is God. It was a big box because it was 613 different rules that if you do the rules perfectly, then you will win God's favor. But Jesus says, no, you must be born again. Then Jesus goes on to explain what he meant by being born spiritually versus being born physically. That you must be born spiritually in order to see the kingdom of God. Read in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's speaking of himself right there, how he has come down from heaven. Verse 14, and as Moses is lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Nicodemus, he must have been royally confused. because He says, how can these things be? And so Jesus says, hey, aren't you a teacher of Israel? Aren't you one of the 6,000 teachers that are supposed to point the people of God to God? Not only that, but you're like the teacher of the teachers, and you don't understand what I'm talking about. You're supposed to be the cream of the crop, the, 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 the choices, teachers. You're supposed to know it all, and you don't know about being born again. And then Jesus gives the heart of the entire message today. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So I want to share to you for you this morning four points. I want to share that, that break that scripture, John 3, 16, into four smaller chunks. And we're going to look at it piece by piece and draw four conclusions based off of John 3, 16. Let's read the first part of 3, 16 again. It says, for God so loved the world. Here's my first point for us this morning. Point number one, God loves you. God loves you. Maybe you're thinking, that's not terribly deep, Pastor John. I know, but if you don't understand that, then you're not going to get anything else that God loves you. It's because God loves you that God desires to save you. One of the reasons that he even begins to, to, to save us from eternal hell is because he's a loving God. Read 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is, God is love. It's not just what he, he does, it's who he is. That God is love, that's his nature, his character. It's because God loves That's the reason you're loved by God. You can't do anything good or bad to make God love you more or less. The truth is God loves you regardless of how bad we are. Because we're bad. We are sinners at our core. And yet God still loves us. And God loves the world. That word world in our New Testament is the word cosmos in the the Greek. We probably have heard that before, right? The cosmos, it's used 186 times in the New Testament. It's, it's referring to humanity. God loves all of humanity and God, all of humanity is desperately wicked. And yet a loving God still loves the world. So you know what he did? He came to save us. Listen to how Paul says it to the Romans in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God shows his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died. You see, what the vast majority of the cosmos, the world thinks, well, if I'm going to come to God, I have to clean myself up. I have to straighten my life out. I have to get myself together. And then I come to God. The problem with that is we will never clean ourselves up. 
We're incapable of cleaning ourselves up because we are sinners at our cores. We are sinners, but I want you to know it's never too late to come to Christ. Your stacks of sins is never too high. Your list of failures is never too long to come to Christ. Jesus died for our sins. The death was defeated at Calvary. Our sins have been paid for. Christ did for us on the cross what we were incapable of doing, paying for our sins. Look what John says next. John three sixteen, That he gave his only son. You know, a few weeks ago, it was Christmas. And I bet if we polled the, everybody in the room, somebody here got something pretty cool. I got something pretty cool. But it's nowhere near as cool as the very first Christmas gift. I mean, this is a terrible illustration because, I mean, they don't even compare. They're not even the same class. The, the gift that when God gave his father. The father gave his son. I mean, that he gave. Think of that right there. That God did not withhold anything from us. He wasn't stingy. He didn't hesitate to save the sinful humanity. He refused to leave us abandoned to our own device. He gave the greatest gift that will ever be given us, the the gift of his son. Listen to how James uh, says it in James chapter 1, verse 17. He says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from Above, coming down from the Father of lights, lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That God gave his only son. I mean, how do you explain a gift like that? I love every single person in this room right now. Right now, some of my favorite people in the entire world are in this room. But yet, I wouldn't let any of my sons die for any of you. I wouldn't. That's just the truth of it. But yet, God still loves every one of us so much that he did allow his son to die for you, for me. How in the world do we explain a gift like that? Listen to how the apostle Paul tried to explain this gift in 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Paul said, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I mean, I think that's a great way of putting it. Jesus is the inexpressible gift. I mean, he, Paul can't even come up with words to describe how great this gift is. So, And if, if Paul can't do it, I know I can't do it. So I'm just going to say what Paul said when he called Jesus the inexpressible gift. Jesus is the supreme proof that God loves you. All the time, I've, I've had people say, well, I'm not sure God loves me. How can you not know that God loves you when he sent Jesus to die for you? Listen to how John says it in 1 John 4, 9. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John says that God sent his only son. The one and only, the class of his own The father loved his son, and yet he still allowed him to go. The name of Jesus Christ. How how do you explain that? I mean, what what is in a name? Is is that important? Listen to how Max Licato, he he says this, speaking on Jesus' name. This is a kind of a long quote, but I think it's really profound. He says this concerning names. He says, names carry clout. When the name of Queen Elizabeth is announced, people turn. When a letter is signed by John F. Kennedy, it is a treasure to the stored in a safety deposit box. 
Napoleon, Caesar, Alexander the Great, all these names turn heads, but only one name will forever cause them to bow. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The rich, the poor, the black, the brown, the politician, the physician, the red carpet superstar, the street corner panhandler, every knee will bow before Jesus and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There are people on our planet who mock the name of Jesus. They scoff the idea of God on earth. They renounce their need for a savior and cast aspersion on any who believe in Christ. They are self-sufficient, independent, self-made, and self-reliant. Ask them to bend a knee before Jesus and they will laugh at you. But they will not laugh forever. A day is coming in which they will bow in his presence. Stalin will confess his name. Herod will confess his name. Even or especially Satan will confess his name. All who raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. That's what the prophet Isaiah says, chapter 45. One ruler after another will step forward. Crowns will be collected at the foot of Jesus' throne. So will Pulitzers, Nobels, gold medals, MVPs, PhDs, and MDs. All recognitions will become instantly puny in the presence of Christ the creator. No one will boast. All the money in history will be shown to be counterfeit. Every Rolls Royce will seem to be an ox cart. Nothing will matter. No one will matter. Just Jesus. On that great day, you will hear billions of voices make the identical claim about Jesus Christ. Multitudes of people will bow, uh, will bow like field of wheat that's being blown by the wind. I mean, picture that. We, we have fields here. Picture what that looks like when, when the wind blows and that wheat just just bows down. That's what it's going to look like in heaven when bows, when scores of people bow before Jesus. Each one saying, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. But I want you to know some will confess Jesus into eternal bliss and others will confess Jesus out of eternal regret. And we have today to confess him as Lord. Because when he comes back, it's going to be too late. Did you know that Jesus is coming back? We're going to spend all, um, probably all of 2023 looking at the book of Revelation. That's what Revelation is telling us, that the the king is coming back. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about his return. Lewis says, quote, God will invade. When that happens, it's the end of the world. When the author walks out onto the stage, the play is over. For this time, it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. It will be the time when we discover which side we are, we've really chosen. There's so many faiths that teach, well, hey, on that day, there's going to be a second chance. There's not going to be a second chance. We have today and today only. It is appointed for man to die once, then judgment. That's what the book of Hebrews says. So let me ask you, what is it for you? Will it be irresistible love or be irresistible horror? Listen to what John says next, John 3.16. So whoever believes in him should not perish. Here's my third point for us this morning. Point number three, God is able to save. 
Let me ask you, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Because there's a lot of people say, well, I believe in Jesus. But what they mean is it's mere head knowledge. That knowledge hasn't transformed to their hearts to actually do something with that in which they believe. Let's say, for example, I'm on a luxury cruise ship. I'm on a cruise ship, and it's wonderful. I don't, anybody ever been on a cruise? Anybody? Okay, we got about six people. Okay, well, if you've never been, let me tell you how it goes. It, everybody's waiting on you. I mean, it's wonderful. The, the, the buffets are long, and the food never ends, and the, usually you go when it's, it's sunny, and it's warm, and it's just laying on the deck, and it's good times the whole time. What if all of a sudden the captain comes on the loudspeaker and says, the ship is taking on water, man the lifeboats, we're going down. I mean, that's terrible news, Right? That's terrible news in what we thought was a great situation. I mean, the ship's going down. What if all of a sudden the crew run out on the deck, says, everybody in the lifeboats, the ship is going down. That's great news in a terrible situation there because that lifeboat can save me from drowning. But what if I go on to say, you know what? I know where the lifeboat's at. It's right over there. I know the lifeboat can save me, but you know what? I'm just not ready yet. I'm going to stay on the ship. I'm going to enjoy that buffet. I'm going to enjoy a little more sunshine. And when I'm ready, I'll get on the boat. You see, I'm not saying that because I don't believe the lifeboat can save me. I'm saying it because I'm just not ready. Really what I'm saying is, you know what? There's other things that are more important. Maybe the person next to me goes, what? That's wild. I got to get on the, on the life raft. And they go and they get on the, on, the, on the life raft, right? But then I say, when I'm ready, I'll get in. I'm just not ready yet. Believing in him, believing in Jesus, isn't mere acceptance of the information given about him. It's entrusting your internal salvation. It is saying, I'm all in on who Jesus is and what he did on that cross. That's what it means to believe. Getting into the wrath, that's proof of belief, right? Simple talk is just simple head knowledge. And there's lots of people that have tons of facts and figures about Jesus and his ministry. But the proof in their lack of belief is they're not in the raft. Do you believe in Jesus enough to get in the raft? That's the question. You know what Jesus is saying here in John 3 is not unique in the Bible. It's not. Here's something that was said just earlier in in Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, verse 20. The word of God says, but as he considered these things, this is speaking of Joseph, um, Jesus' adopted father. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is is conceived in hers of the Holy Spirit, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And here it is, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus is here to do, to save us from our sins. The name Jesus, it means God saves. It means Yahweh saves. It was in the manger that we celebrate in Christmas that God broke into the world. And it's on Good Friday that God proves his love and then proves again that he is God by the resurrection that we celebrate on Easter. It is through the cross that God saves you. He saves me. The cradle, it leads to the cross. Just like God's love leads to salvation. We need to be saved because we are lost. Can we agree there's nothing worse than being lost? It was October of 1987. Some of you are going to be old enough to remember this. There was a little girl in Midland, Texas by the name of Jessica McClure. 
This tiny little baby, she crawled out on her parents' lawn and she fell into an abandoned well that was eight inches wide. Turns out it was 22 feet deep. She was lost to her parents and her parents had no way of getting to her. She became known as Baby Jessica. In fact, that is what started 24-hour news in this country. The whole nation was fixed on Midland, Texas as people were watching and praying for little baby Jessica. It was 15 hours. Men drilled and dug and they didn't know how hard it was going to be because they began drilling. They hit stone and that stone was so hard it cracked the drill bits. And they're getting to, to be, it was so much harder than they ever could imagine. But after 15 hours, they're finally able to get to baby Jessica and bring her back to the top. But by that time, there's news cameras that have descended on her parents' house. And, and, and the first camera caught this glimpse of a man coming out of a hole. And he was holding this baby in his arms. And he, he gave it back to her parents that were waiting there and crying. There were scores of people there that camped out. They're all praying. They're all crying. Begging God, save this little girl. And onlookers in the nation, they're all crying. And so many were certain that baby Jessica was going to be dead. But she wasn't. She was alive. She was alive because there was brave men that did what it took to save her. In a similar manner, each and every one of us, we are all stuck in a, in a pit that we can't get out of. We fall into this predicament that we're incapable of getting ourselves out of. We can't climb into this hole of sin that we've, that we've fallen into. We need somebody who is willing and able to come down into this hole of sin and, and this abyss and save us. That's the heart of the gospel. That's what Jesus did. He saw you. He saw me. We're trapped in this hell on earth. And he left heaven and he came to earth to save us. Because we needed to be rescued. The, the, the world tells us what you need to do. You need to climb a little harder. Climb a little harder. Clatch, scratch, claw. Get yourself out of this hole by being a good person. By doing some works. But we can't. God coming in the perfect, as the perfect Jesus Christ, he came into our hole of sin and death and he offered himself to deliver us to where we all want to be. Rescued from where we are and into his presence. Look what he finally says, the end of John 3.16. But have eternal life. Here's my fourth and final point this morning. Point number four, God offers eternal life. It was one of the Superman movies. I can't remember which one. I think it was two or three. There's a scene where there's this huge high-rise building and the, the building's on fire. And the fire is such where everybody knows the building's coming down. And the fire is so hot that the, uh, the firemen can't get their ladder trucks to it. And there's a man trapped on the top and is sure he's going to die. But all of a sudden, Superman swoops in, grabs this guy, and then up, up, and away. And he takes him to safety. And they're soaring through the air, and the man looks down, and he's frightened because of the altitude they're flying at. And the man says to Superman, I'm scared. Look how high we are. And Superman has the best answer. He says, now if I can deliver you from a burning fire, what makes you think I'm going to drop you and not carry you all the way to safety? If God can deliver you from a burning hell, what makes you think he's going to drop you before he can safely put you down? Or let me add this. What makes you think that you're strong enough to squirm out of the real Superman's grasp? What makes you think that you're that strong? 
Listen to what Jesus says about that in John chapter 10, verse 8. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Read that again. They will never perish. And no one will be able to snatch them out of my hands. My father who's given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are forever safe in the arms of the father. You have nothing to fear. You're a forever adopted member of God's family. You will not perish. You will not be lost. He will never cast you aside. That should give us such great confidence in this life that the creator of the universe will never cast us aside. What kind of love is that? I don't deserve that. But yet he loves us like that anyways. He's never going to abandon you. If you believe, if you trust, if you put the full weight of your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have eternal life. And when you have eternal life, I don't know about you, but this is just my story. This world doesn't seem so great anymore. I, I can't wait to get out of this one. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting for the next one to come because basically think of the greatest day you ever had on this earth. The best day. That's going to be like a trip to the sewer plant compared to the worst day in the next life. I mean, I can't even come up with words for it. I heard a story of a father. He was, took his wife shopping. They had a little girl in the back seat. They pulled up to the store, and his wife said, it's only going to be a minute. All the dads know that's a lie. Ah, no way. So it's only going to be a minute. So he didn't bother to get their little three-year-old out of the car seat. They're just going to wait patiently, air quotes, until mom comes back. And the little girl, she began to squirm, began to fuss. And, and she wanted to get out. She became restless for her mother to return. Finally, she couldn't take anymore. She hung her head out of the window and said, God, get me out of here. You ever feel like that little girl? I know I do. At some point, we've all been like that because we're stuck, even though we have eternal life. Not stuck in the backseat of a car, but stuck in this dying body. Every day I get older and I realize how true this is because everything just hurts a little bit more. But not only that, but I have all these bad habits and still suffering from poor consequences and choices I've made in the past and living in this rebellious world. We all need help. We all need to be rescued. The Christmas story is when the rescue came. And it was help like no other that God sent his son, Jesus, on a search and rescue mission. The gospel writer of Luke tells us that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. That God the Father sent the hero of heaven into our broken world. That, that Jesus, he left a crown to heaven for a cradle and eventually a cross. It was before the cross where sinful men would grab our Savior and they would punch him and they'd beat him. They would pluck his beard from his face and spit on his face. It was before the cross where the spit of evil men commingled with the blood of the divine. Why? So that you and I could be saved. Jesus came and paid the ultimate price, the price for your sins and my sins to take us to heaven. You know, the message of Christmas is simple. God loves you. And God took, did what it took to save you. He gave his son. His name is Jesus. Because of Bethlehem, God came to earth. Because of Bethlehem, grace has appeared. Because of Bethlehem, hope has arrived. And it was at Bethlehem where a gift was given. Have you accepted the gift from the Father? 
Do you have eternal life? Have you been born again? If not, it can happen in a moment. In a prayer, call out to him. and He will save you. Say, God, rescue me from my sins. I give you my life. I pray this in your name. Amen.